Hello and welcome to another episode of Cork's Talks where I talk about anything and everything of interest to me, whether that be political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental, you name it, I'll speak about it. And today's episode is just, you know, a review. <laughs> I haven't really had much to say about like particular topics anymore in terms of politics and stuff, but these reviews actually tend to draw out um implications that are relevant to the kind of things I speak about anyway so I think it's a good framework to work with it and I'm going to start with like a negative review they're going to start with a positive review right so I watched two mini series one was called Chloe I think that came out a few days ago and the other one was called This Is Going To Hurt that came out like again a few days ago both came out on BBC both are mini series so the first is about I think six episodes and the second was about seven but I think they are further episodes that are about to come out um yes yeah, so chloe was i guess um a mystery drama that i think started better than it ended so you've got this story of this woman who is um very beautiful dazzling gorgeous and mysterious um we never meet her while she's alive we only meet her in like flashbacks to her death but um she's being i guess stalked by an old friend um online and the way it's presented at the beginning though you don't know of their connection you just feel like this woman is trying to emulate this other strange woman's life by looking at everything she does and scrolling her profile right which i think was a very good beginning um the girl in question is called becky green but she later stylizes herself as sasha and then goes by a few different names because she's essentially an imposter right and um she's got this regular job and she takes care of her mum as a carer who I believe her mum is like in the early stages of dementia and the description sounds very good because I was reading a review about it and they were like giving it five stars because they presented it as if I'm presenting it it was different it was interesting it was quite real right and then it kind of lost its flavour throughout um, only because it became a bit ridiculous, which I guess adds to the storyline. But um, you get this Becky Green, who eventually is stylized as Sasha, penetrating this Chloe woman's uh, friendship circle, and in ways that are just maybe are normal, you know. But I would expect that to be normal, perhaps in a more uniform institutional setting, like you know, university. Actually, probably would have been a better setting for it than adulthood just because I don't believe adults just like randomly meet one another and they're like okay let's be friends and believe what each other say that's the only stretch of the imagination I can leap to but yeah so uh, Becky slash Sasha penetrates Chloe's friendship circle ends up befriending her best friend and what coincidence her best friend just kind of starts inviting her to all the things that are really precious and sacred to Chloe which is where the disbelief came in for me so um she ends up going to like a a friendship dinner and staying at her house and it becomes far too intimate far too fast and um eventually she ends up sleeping with her with Chloe's ex-husband or boyfriend boyfriend yeah I think the only good thing about it was the whodunit angle was not um presented until the end because the presumption is that Chloe killed herself so there's almost no suspicion that someone else did it to her but 
Becky has this um, inkling toward the end and she didn't do this to herself and kind of get it revealed to you at the end like she didn't do this to herself and that was the only secret that was covered because you kind of find out the person who pushed her to this um, edge is someone that you'd, you'd completely underestimate like it's an unintentional who done it because it's not putting um, the binoculars, binoculars on until almost the very end, which is the good part of the show. But it means that for the five previous episodes, you're kind of going through the stick of, okay, so what are we here for? Like, what is she trying to figure out? Because I didn't get the impression she was trying to um, figure out how Chloe died. I got the impression she just wanted, like, closure because the presumption was that we knew. So maybe that's my separation I didn't get the whole fact-finding mission I just got the whole I'm a creepy old uh, I'm a creepy old friend who wants to get close to the friend I once had because we later find out that her and Chloe were friends and then there were a few plot holes right you get this elusive younger sister who's like passed away whose name she's using which would be significant if it was bred into the story braided into the story better but it kind of wasn't because um, she's picked a name that her sister had. Her sister, we later found out, died, but has almost no relevance to um, the larger storyline, except for the fact that there's this continuous impression that Becky Green wants to be somebody else, constantly wants to be somebody else. And um, her mom goes to a care home, and her boyfriend now pays for the whole, like, first term of it it's like if this is really happening big up but that, that's the non-realism part that brought me away from it but the initial parts were very interesting that brought me in and um I was torn between whether I enjoyed it or not in the end I think I gave it like a four star on IMDb um just because it lost its touch but I think the actors did really well I think they did what they could with the plot it reminds me of Netflix one of the actors actually was a Netflix actress, so I had to keep shaking that off though because the thing about Netflix stories or shows or miniseries is that there's something contrived about them. Like, I enjoy them to fill up space in my day, but there's something contrived about them. I don't know if it's the lighting, I think it's the lighting, but I just, I never believe it, but it's good enough to watch, you know. Whereas if I start talking about the miniseries this is going to hurt right by um well initially written by a junior doctor called adam k who um quit the profession and wrote a book bestseller i think it's all a million copies it's a brilliant 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 book right it's phenomenal and it is comedic but also very haunting but it just talks about the state of our nhs it's a polemic but it's done so well and they represented it on screen so so well they featured Adam as Ben Wishaw Ben Wishaw like whenever he's in a show he's got this like sallow face and this nervous twitchy demeanor and it works it just works like he can always bring layers to a character I watched his um feature in that I think it was an um a Netflix movie called Revenge it's on Netflix, it might not be a Netflix movie, but I'm pretty sure it was called Revenge. And um, I had to double check that. And he just played this like really disturbed individual who just 
has like who, who works at the airport and has these um proclivities that are not normal but he knows how to introduce that into a character without making them seem off the bend you still want to watch it you know this is not just as you would say it's simply a crazy guy it's like a guy with character and um Ben Vishal really, really does well as Adam in this, as they say, gritty NHS drama. And um, I enjoyed I enjoyed it from beginning to end. I was laughing my head off. At some points, I was so somber. It was very dark. I was upset. But the way they filmed it, and perhaps this is my thing, because lighting is so huge for me, the way they filmed it just made it something very contemporary and believable. Like, anyone who's ever been on a ward in a hospital knows that that is how British hospitals look. Right. Whereas I think when I'm watching Netflix shows, it's always filmed in a place that doesn't look like England, right? And um, that's the unbelievable part of it. And yeah, I think that's the that's the realism for me. It's the it's the setup because even in Chloe, you get these big ass kitchens and these big ass houses. I'm like, I know people live like this, but and to be honest, the guy that she was living with was the son of like a very rich man, so it made sense. But it wasn't um, ironic because Chloe's own place, you know, we really get a look at, but we know she's having money trouble, yet she's still living in quite a nice place in London, which just doesn't add up. Whereas um, in This Is Going To Hurt, you get the junior doctor who is training as, um, you get the junior doctor who's training and you hardly, he's living in a flat, right? And then compare that to the student doctor who's living on her own. And it's only a brief shot you see of her place, but her kitchen is in the same place as her bedroom. And she's got an ensuite, that's it. Like, that's realistic. That's what you know most people in London in particular are living like, right? And I like that because it has to, has to be realistic. I'm kind of tired of watching shows about people who are claiming to be poor wearing designer outfits living in nice houses like it just takes the it doesn't ring true for me but this is going to help was just marvelous like that is how you do a tv show right you um have that element of polemic so it's like it's not this oh we hate the nhs the nhs is terrible blah 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 but it's a um a humorous poke fun curious but also very detrimental piece on the lack of support for our doctors in the NHS but it's not done in um, a wishy-washy morally superior way it's done in a sarcastic funny witty clever 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 way and it's always unsuspecting like you don't know what next patient they're gonna deal with and you don't know what life issue they're gonna deal with right because there are things in this show that are brought up that aren't the focus but are still very important so it's not like virtue signaling or what they say as woke like it's just these things that we do that we don't realize that we do so it's the whole you know um, the student doctor is of Asian descent. She speaks Hindi and like um, she's holding a baby and someone's like, I don't want that bleep. 
to um they say the peter bird the um animal one that bleep touching my baby and it just sounds so almost offhand but you know it's just the part and parcel of a junior doctor's life and then you get adam the um main character in this who himself is gay but he doesn't make that known and it's not like oh my god he's hiding he's gay it's just like a lot of doctors don't tell the truth about what they're dealing with um at home in their romantic relationships in terms of their sexuality and it's like it's more common than you think it's not just doctors but the way they interweave it as like a secondary and tertiary storyline is great like i find that um really really good because it 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 um it adds to the storyline it um it nourishes what we're seeing beyond you know the nhs is a tip it's like and the people in it are actually sometimes minorities and marginalized people and they're still trying that that's the point right that's the significant part we get um a episode it might be the third or second episode where the um student doctor her name is Shruti she is having like um, a meal with the consultant and the consultant is very happy-go-lucky very tongue-in-cheek very um unfazed right and she talks very honestly like you know as a student doctor I'm struggling it's hard and I didn't know that NHS had politics like this so that was the interesting part I know every workplace has politics but it was always framed to most people that you know to work in the NHS you have to build up by skill and talent and experience but in reality it is a lot of politics and you know um who's one-upping the other and who gets opportunity to learn things and what kind of hospital are you dealing with is it funded well and all the consultants nice and all this kind of stuff so you get Shruti talking to this consultant and assuming it's a safe space and the consultant just blindsiding her with a very hard question a rhetorical question which is like you sure this is the right job for you which is not what you expect because the consultant did not present that way and then you wonder like wow so is this is this it you know was her naivety um her downfall is she gonna leave is she gonna stay and 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 you almost put that issue back to to the back of your mind but it it just draws upon so many significant storylines and it's it shows why we need like tv like this especially in the midst of a pandemic right when we know junior doctors suffered to the point whereby like they were seeing people die in droves straight for medical school and we were just told you know it's normal and gave them some claps and they gave them a small pay rise and cut that down with inflation and didn't buy off their student loans and basically just made their lives hell like i don't know how they're doing it my cousin's a doctor and i'm just like i don't know how you do it i haven't seen her in two years that told you enough like they're making it horrible right but this story pokes fun at that horror it kind of reminds me of industry the tv show like i like these shows that really focus on that 25 to 35 year stage of people's lives probably because i'm going into it sometimes we get storylines of people in their late 30s that feel very dated because it's like well this person's got a house and kids a lot of people in my generation don't have that right now I think that's why I'm not really a big fan of like these American shows or these other shows that 
demonstrate these kind of things because you it feels like you just have to be really rich to have those kind of things and you don't actually have to be really rich but it feels like you do um and um i'm always shocked by like how quickly a show can become a hit like i don't know how it used to be years ago because i never used to watch tv that much but it's crazy how you can just watch a show and within five ten minutes know this is a hit like this is this is marvelous and i don't know if it's going to be remembered because it's this mini series structure and i personally don't mind mini series structures just because i am um someone with a short attention span who does not want to have so much time or energy to watch the whole thing like i started ozark and i'm probably not going to finish it because i'm just like the storyline is dragging like i don't have time but this could be a, 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 a recurring show for sure it could be your casualty or holby city if they just gave it some leeway and fleshed out characters more and staggered timelines more there's so many underlying stories that could be developed right but i don't know what happens in those bbc writers offices because they don't seem to commission anything that's longitudinal unless it's a soap like emmerdale coronation street or eastenders which i know they're not on even bbc but i don't know who still watches that kind of stuff because these shows have been going on for 18 years like you've got to let that shit go and start getting some innovative shows i'd love to watch a movie a movie a series about like fresh grads and follow them all the way up to adulthood that would be like phenomenal to me if they could do that get some 25 year olds have them acting as you know 21 year olds and then just follow them for the next 10 15 years the same way they do with these soaps and i think that would be really emergent but i don't know i don't know whether it could work i just think to myself that as i get older right because two days ago i was in a absolute mind fuck of a state like i was down in the dumps i was like trying to figure shit out emotionally and then i had to reach out to my advisor basically to give me some uh direction and support and he signposted me to so many amazing places so mm. i was able to feel a lot better but i've started developing like little action plans for when i'm feeling low and that includes you know watching a series taking a lazy day and that's why i managed to binge these shows and um but I'm I'm really, I'm quite concerned as to the climate that we're living in, that it just feels like everything is so disposable, you know, whether it's music, you know, Beyonce had that little quote about her songs and albums being, like, not taken in properly, you know, she always repeated, I think it was in the Year of Four documentary where she says, like, people just make a bunch of quick singles and it burns out, like, there's no replay value, there's no return to the music or storyline. And I personally have kind of just recently decided I can't listen to music anymore, like I've got to stop because it feels like you're rehearsing a pastime constantly. Now there's a difference between listening to the uplifting, you know, songs or maybe the college dropout when you're just trying to get through a qualification or you're just trying to get through your morning. But I find music boring. I don't find it interesting anymore. I know the lyrics. I don't need to hear it again. And I don't want things to dictate my mood unless it's dictating my mood for the better, right? So I saw Chloe, that show, as an escape from what I was feeling. And I didn't know what can that it would be in. 
it ended up being like I said, like a mystery who done it, but it was just a nice distraction. Whereas this is going to hurt was a full blown humor that had me giggling and laughing after a day of turmoil. And I'm like, that's what shows are meant to do, like provoke a feeling in you. And even when it got low and upset in the show, it made me feel something other than myself, right? It was an escape. I miss when shows are an escape. Even though the storyline is very close to my life, you know, I have a lot of family members who work in the NHS, it was more a case of, it's so well done, you want to know what happens to the characters. Whereas in a lot of shows, you don't give a damn about the characters, like, there's no affection there, right? Like, when I watched the end of Insecure, I wanted to know what happens to Issa, I wanted to know what happens to Molly, like, and I'm glad I did get to see but I wonder whether people have that attention span anymore to really focus. I remember what stopped. I remember I stopped watching the scandal because it just kept going back to this bloody relationship with Fitz. It was just like it's becoming circular. There's nothing interesting. I want development, and um, it's waning. It's waning in film. It's waning in series because we got streaming. And I'm not opposed to streaming. I think it's a great democratic way of. Um, the, the, um, letting people see and partake in um, cinema watching without the barriers of um, traditional movie politics, you know, commissioning to Netflix is much easier than commissioning to Warner Productions or BBC, it seems like there's such a diversity of shows on Netflix, but I even get bored. I used to say this thing like, there's nothing to watch on Netflix. And my dad's like, no, there's nothing that you want to watch on Netflix because there's not, there's not much anymore. Like, it feels like, it feels like if you've seen one thing, you've seen a thousand things. Like, people just aren't excavating the storylines of the frustrated and the worried and the scared. It's the, Here's the cookie cutter life, and maybe this person has a bit of a drinking drinking problem, but that's pretty much it, you know. Whereas this is going to hurt really dug deep into life and death in multiple, multiple, multiple ways, and the patients coming in having these myriad of issues, right? Because it's in obstetrics and gynecologic um, department having this myriad of issues and having and all these issues mirror, mirroring um, a character trait about themselves, right? So, spoiler alert, I should have said that at the beginning, but, like, you get a woman who has a do-not-resuscitate order. Like, so, she doesn't want to be brought back to life if she dies. She's older, um, maybe 80-something, and then you get this 19-year-old girl who cuts her vulva off, and it's like, what? Um, this is to do with probably um, body image and body standards and the fact that even when um, Adam tries to refer it to psychiatry, they're like, listen, it's not a life or death situation. And it just goes to show like how underfunded our mental health services are. It's like, and how we see young women, um, older women, like the value of their lives. And I don't know whether that's an intentional premise or just because it stops it obstetrics and um, gynecology department but it just really gave an insight into the um, internal lives of women right you even get this woman who's 
giving birth in a private hospital who is in an emergency and ends up at an NHS hospital because that private hospital was so focused on gimmick and presentation. You forgot the fact that you need a doctor that actually knows how to save bloody lives and you have to have enough blood um, on site to um, ensure that, yes, the labour is smooth and that when you take pictures of the baby, it's in a nice setting, but the safety of the mother is paramount, right? And it kind of goes to, goes to show that it's not always about money, it's about resource allocation as well, because they're working with old computers, an alarm that goes off every couple of minutes, um, lack of beds, lack of rooms, lack of doctors on the ward. It's horrific. It's horrific. Like, And you're just like, my God, then they're doing this every day. How do you park this in your mind? And then it bleeds out into their personal relationships for Shruti. It bleeds out into her family relationships. Her parents think she's doing so marvellously and she's dying inside. And then there's Adam who can't can't uphold a romantic relationship to save his life because his schedule is so bad, right? Like he gets a call that his friend stagged it, right, to come back on the ward and be like re- acting registrar. It's like, oh my God, how can people be dealing with this? And, and they are in silence. You know, you can go to your corporate job or even your public sector job. You don't have to have that, the life of an individual in your hands because you made a mistake. And that's the difference between doctors and everybody else. And um, the politics comes in with the whole GMC, which is the General Medical Council, right? And other authorities that exist in this country um, regulate other people's behaviour. But I guess being struck off from the medical register just feels a lot worse than being struck off from other um, other um, professions cause, because it seemed like you can't help people whereas other things like okay you just can keep up with other things are to do with people's money but this is to do with people's lives and I know money affects lives yes but you can always get another, another accountant and fix some books you can always get another lawyer you can always get another analyst you can get another hr person but it doesn't feel like you can bloody well get like another life if a doctor lost that life because of lack of sleep or family issues and i think the breaking of the fourth wall which is such an old concept I remember doing a GCC drama really introduced to me how um, who we are and what we present like what's in our minds can be so different to um, what we fake every day and I've told myself like I made an action plan and a bucket list for this year and going forward and just saying to myself every day I have to maximize my potential every day I have to do what I can and just try to make it better take it step by step because worrying about the far future is not going to work um where we go from here is that we end up struggling um now because of things that haven't even happened yet and it's a waste of time it's a waste of energy an expenditure that I'm not willing to, 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 to spend. So I'm just like, okay, let me focus on now and let me step 
um, in tandem with that. But um, there's almost always another shot at life, except when you're a doctor. You know, that, that's what really just showed me the stakes because you're, you're saving lives. And, and same with the mental health services, you're saving lives. It's crazy. It's crazy. It shows me like who am I to complain about a fucking um, high stakes job in some corporate sector when people are literally battling with people's lives. Perspective. And if that takes me looking at my bucket list every day or taking a moment for myself every day just to say, you know, it's not about, oh, be grateful you're not a doctor, but it's just a case of looking on the bright side and counting like even adam had like a tally of i guess how many babies he delivered whereas the consultant had pictures of every baby he delivered like in the past couple of years and it's like marking your progress logging your progress is essential it seems so minor but days go by and it feels like we've never achieved anything because we don't log it down like i have a diary planner that allows me to write all of my little things in terms of events or to-do lists because it keeps me on top of things but when I'm in the working world again I very much want to be full-time in the mix having a work journal that helps me realize the skills I'm learning and how to develop them and then transfer them constantly constantly like because if you're not growing you're not learning like you won't make it in this life or country you'll constantly your mind has a way of emptying out all the good things you've done and acting like you've never done anything in your life of course that's untrue but it feels like we as people are constantly failing and that's just a lie and if we were more intentional if we were more intentional about proving ourselves in terms of the 24 hours that we have having some sense of achievement, then I think we do a lot better. Even if you're doing something mundane, it just means that you've done the mundane thing 10, 20, 30 times. So what? It means that you're really good at that mundane thing, right? Whereas we tend to only mark the big significant milestones in our life, but I think it's important to mark the minor shit. I think it's just constantly scheduling joy. Like, that's my big, big, big thing. Scheduling joy, it's like in the midst of all this working, because you're going to work till you die, that's just what you're going to have to do. Find moments to give yourself a breather, give yourself opportunities to reflect, if it's once a week, if it's once a month. It's expending all that worry, asking yourself what you can do about it, and then moving on constantly. And I was saying this to my friend the other day, like, the difference between careers and people is that people are not disposable, but careers are disposable. You know, you can let go of a career. I was saying that every job I've ever entered, right, every placement I've ever entered, about six to nine months later, the person who hired me switched jobs. And I'm like, I'm like, the job market is a joke. Talent wars are a joke. Like, there's just no loyalty. And I think that's bleeding into people's personal relationships. But I'm not sure. I'm not here to say that time is the best measure of the quality of a relationship. I'm not sure you can spend 10 years talking to somebody and then in the drop of a hat, move on and forget all of that stuff ever happened if that's even healthy of course you can say you know i don't want to be friends with this person that's absolutely fine but it's more to do with the fact that throwing people away um because of the memories spent is not always the best bet 
and I'm kind of dragging myself here because I know in friendships I can be like you know what I'm out when I'm out no one sees me again like I just decide and that's just because I have a very fatalist pessimistic view of human beings I think that they don't change and I think that the way people treat you is a reflection of how they see you and how they talk to how they talk to you is how they perceive you you know I always say to myself if someone doesn't talk to their boss like that why they talk to me like that oh because I'm not their boss (laughs) yeah and that's the problem we only see monetary value and we don't see social value right so I value people but if you mess mess with my mental health that's it devaluation immediate that's the reason why I usually lock off people just because it's like it's stressing me out not necessarily because the person is bad not because the person is wicked not because I hate them I'm indifferent I'm more to do with what is this doing to me and how can I um ensure that it it doesn't do this to me because it's usually a negative thing because it's not fair for me to walk around with this on my head so I'm just over that in that respect and uh, I hate that it takes films and stuff to reaffirm this kind of stuff but what I really need to do is I need to have an action plan for when I'm low to constantly refer to um to spark joy like all the time in the sense that like what I tend to do is that every other day I'll alternatively do something to make myself feel good so go to an online event buy takeaway bloody buy Haribo sweets get my hair done get my nails done like minor shit like that I try not to wait to the end of the week I try to squeeze that in even in the middle of the week right a swimming session Sunday but in the long term what I want is an ability to proactively develop in all areas of life without being weighed down by the way I feel because sometimes the way you feel is not an accurate reflection of what you're doing often it's not a reflection of what you're doing you feel like you're doing nothing you're doing everything like you're doing everything and it feel doesn't it still doesn't feel like enough because we're in a productivity trap of you know no rest for the wicked um and i am resting i've rested enough but i am going to work harder and spend my days better and express and reflect more but it's just about finding the time to reflect I think that's the key issue here because I do all these videos and I do all these podcasts but when do I listen to them right will I ever have time to um it reminds me of the article I read posting for prosperity by Terry Nguyen he was speaking about the video oh I toast Shigeko Kabuta, who is like someone who says, I video, therefore I am, I exist because of the visual footage of me. And then there was like Ghanaian proverb type video where it's just like, if you don't take pictures of yourself, it's like you don't exist. It's true. I take pictures of myself for myself, so I'm looking clapped on Instagram, but it's not a close friend story. Or I'm doing a video journal, I'm taking pictures, I'm not really sharing them, right? But like in reading, recent articles on the new yorker i read um Wilson Shear. she's got like an upcoming book coming out and um in this piece she was talking about her previous um literature and 
it was titled Somalians, um, sorry, Somalis in Exile. Mm. And I think that's the crazy part, right? It's the fact that we as diasporans don't see ourselves as people who have fled something. I guess because a lot of people are economic migrants, and that's absolutely fair enough. But what I'm worried about is that, like, in the wider context, we don't see ourselves as a part of a legacy, an ancestral legacy. I speak to my friend Akila about this, and it was like, you know, we just see things as minor instead of major. I'm just here, I just exist. No, you come from a lineage of people who fought God knows what to get you here. You, you can't give it all away for nothing or, or, or something minor because you matter. You matter in that respect, right? Um, but our minds don't tell us that. Our minds tell us, like, you are just on your own. It's very individualistic. It's very capitalistic. You benchmark yourself by little... Um, little lines in your CV of how much um, your previous job gave you in salary and how much employment history you have and where you went to school and what grades you have. And these are all fantastic things because bear in mind when you're young, what else are you going to do but spend time learning? But once you get to that 21 to 25 range, I really think you have to rethink what you want to spend your whole life doing, right? Like a big up Eve Cornwell for saying, you know what? I wanted this job when I was 19, I'm now 24, 25, and I don't want this job anymore. That's not a weird thing, it's very normal. And I've been saying it for years and years that I feel like the grad scheme pipeline is quite a scary one. Luckily, it only takes two to three years of your life anyway, so it's not that bad. And you can always pivot and leave. And plus recruitment in this country is big money, so there's always someone that's gonna help you with that. But I mean, we underestimate how much we change and develop. What we wanted when we were 19 is not what we necessarily want when we're 25. What we want at 25 is not necessarily what we want at 30. And then the list goes on and it's okay to pivot. And that's why I guess I like the HR in this country because they kind of say, you know, you've got transferable skills, whatever you did, trust me, there's space for you in this other industry. You think there's not, you'll learn on the way. And they're right, they are right. Like. There's a point in This Is Going To Her where Shruti makes a very clipped comment to um, a patient about um, their pregnancy. And you're like, okay, this is really bad customer service skills. Like, it's good enough that you identified a problem, but you couldn't communicate it effectively to the patient. And that's a basic skill that sometimes we lose that, like empathy, teamwork um learning independently life skills teenagers sometimes have it sometimes don't but you're gonna pivot you're going to pivot I'm, I'm looking forward to pivoting in my life like i'm looking forward to saying you know what i don't want to do this anymore or you know what? i'm getting better at this and so let me level up i'm looking forward to it because this idea of stagnancy just having this role and then just having one to three years one to five years one to six years like eh. i'd rather just take the skills and take it to another um, branch of learning in my life. Like, how on earth would I um, otherwise learn and grow? You can weird deja vu, you can weird nightmares. Well, let them tell me something, I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? But 
I forget them before the morning or I remember them very briefly, but it's just always really mean things that someone is saying to me. I'm like, why do I think like this? But I should probably just journal more. But yeah, yesterday I was, I don't want to say proud of myself, but I, I had, I had a crazy bloody day, right? And my brain just wasn't agreeing with me. But I got through. And that's the thing, you're always going to get through. Like, all, all you cannot get through, it's up to you, right? That line in um India Arby's song, Get It Together, that's probably a good song I could listen to. You can live or you can die. That, that life's a choice that you make. So you just got to make it every day until God says, you know what, I'm done. Like, you've done what you need to do, you're out, because that's what God has done for me in the past few years. Um, Really, really made me see and understand that you can fly, 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 fly. You can live or you can die. You know life is a choice you make. It's true. It's true. Like life is a bloody choice you make. Um I feel like living for God, the joy, the the love, the pursuit of God is just so much more significant than any human. Like of course, does it feel nice when humans do stuff for you? Yeah. Can you rely on it? If you're demography. Probably not. That sounds so pessimistic, but I've seen the stats. And that doesn't mean I'm going to fall into the stat, but I'm not going to spend all of my energy trying to um, resist that stat because it's not something I can control. Like, I can't make people love me. I can't make people do things for me. I can't make people care for me. I can only mm-hmm. care for my bloody self. So, um, oh, my grandmother just messaged me. So, um, yeah, you got to keep going and um mm-hmm. I'm just doing some things I find that mornings are such a good time to learn and work because it's just so quiet and like less chaos in my mind as by the time that evening hits because it gets dark and then you just had so many stimulants and stimuli you're like oh god this is bad um so Yep, great. Um, yeah, so I've got some meetings lined up for today and tomorrow. So that's good. It keeps me on my toes, isn't it? I like doing that. I don't like when I have empty days. I think that's when the despair kind of um, seeps in. But to be honest with you, I like being busy and I worry that my my aptitude for busyness will um make me a workaholic and i'll end up jam packing all of my thoughts and fears and life into this career but i have to find that separation i have to find that like this is talent development and then this is me and then i crossover sometimes sometimes things you learn from work you end up applying to your home and things you learn from home you apply to your work but there's a line like once I'm out of the office I've turned off the laptop I am doing what I need to do for my betterment my personal development my health and all these things so yeah um I think the show this is going to hurt really tackled like taboo topics, I mean, it's a fucking show about gynecology and obstetrics, like, it was never going to be straight-laced, and 
there's just so much more they can explore so i really hope they stay with it it's one of those really misty fields of medicine that we just don't know much about that there's a lot of fear and they, they managed to make it really humorous and funny i saw heather ajapong in the first episode um i think she was actually the first patient no 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 she wasn't the first patient she was like the third patient but, um um it was nice to see like all these different types of women come in for like there's so many other statistics and facts that they can interweave into storylines like miscarriage rates and mortality of mothers and babies with illnesses and these are not such soft easy topics that are going to come like um, simply but they can draw out more understanding i mean he was using technical jargon that i'm sure a lot of doctors recognize and stuff but it wasn't a gray's anatomy right um which i think i don't like about american shows because they just make everything look bloody sexy and it's like you know i don't know if medicine's always sexy i don't know if a law is always sexy sometimes these things are just dirty and it's just better to present them as dirty and um that is what british shows can do right that is what British shows can do because there's a candor about us that allows us to really dig deep. <laughs> and um, I'm wondering when I will find the storyline to dig deep. But well, who knows? I have like this suspicion that all my little material, all the stuff I'm experiencing right now, will be like my little material for the future. And I hate that. Or what can you do? Because we are the people and we are who the stories come from if adam k didn't write about bloody becoming a doctor who else could have done it someone else would have just fictionalized it from what their parents experienced or what they think wards look like who better than the person who experiences it to say you know this is what we go through this is what we go through i love that i love the age of people going into careers and saying you know what i don't want to do it i don't want to do it anymore but i want to tell everyone about it and um just bring in really fantastic storylines to the forefront. I think that's the kind of work that we should all be doing. Um, and I'm appreciating the direction that filmography is going in. If it continues this way, I think it'll be great. Um, if it stops and refuses to go any further, that will be sad. Um, so yeah. So is that all I have to say? Is there anything else to do? Um, I don't think so. Oh yeah, there's another comedic show I need to watch. I'm wondering what category. Okay, comes under drama. I am really like I'm a sucker for dramas. Like that's my thing. Um, I liked Killing Eve. I, I'm always looking for something that gets me thinking. You know, but also things that are obvious having hidden layers is great as opposed to sometimes things that are are unobvious sometimes you select a drama and the drama is something or profiling people that you have no idea about you're like okay that's interesting i've never seen this kind of thing but on the flip side it could just be seemingly average people with a interesting underlying story i think that was the difference between chloe and this is going to hurt it was like so dramatic in Chloe, it's like this woman's basically being an imposter and sliding her way into events with fake names and all this kind of stuff, you're just like, 
yeah, it was too much on the surface, whereas whereas in this is going to hurt, it was all underneath the surface. That's what I liked. Because, you know, there's no way I'm going back to watch EastEnders. Like, I stopped watching that 10 years ago. <laughs> but it was seemingly average people with really dirty secrets. I think that's the reality of our lives, right? And then I like the fact that it was just effervescently human. Um, sometimes in contemporary dramas, people want to make social media, like the storyline, which I get. But I'm just like, oh, God. Because I experience it, it's nothing transformative to me. But um, even the responder, which featured, um, I think, I don't know if I even watched all of that, but the responder was another miniseries crime drama, which featured, what is his name? My brain has just left me. Oh, Martin Freeman, that's it. And Adebayo Abedayo, and she was like the rookie. And it was this troubled man who has like these underlying secrets. And his underlying secrets were, um, again, a bit, um, a bit uh, of a struggle to relate to because not the average person probably can't relate to this, but it, it's an insight into an industry that you otherwise would not have had. The only issue I have with these two shows, The Responder and This Is Going To Hurt, is more so the sidekick or supporting character tends to always be a woman of colour. Like, <laughs> in The Responder, it's Adebayo Adedayo. And in... Um, in this is going to hurt it's oh, actually an actress i've never seen before um so i was always going to be intrigued to see a new face but she is played by ambika mod who i read is a comedian upcoming comedian and actor but she did really really well and i can actually see her in a lot of comedy shows like she's funny and even when she's not funny she's She's, she's 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 brilliant like she's she knows how to act and seeing a south asian supporting actress who has a storyline is good but it would have been cool to flesh out a little bit more you know because she does go on a date with one of her colleagues and we do know she's got these proud proud parents but there could have been a bit more right and i just wonder if these women were central how things would change but to be honest i don't know if britain has the ability to properly capture the texture of these women's lives like without the director or producer being one of these women you get what i mean like anyone could tell a story yes but there's a texture i saw this like clip on instagram that denzel washington was talking about um you know the difference between like i think a black producer and a white producer producing a storyline is that like a white producer can't tell you how hair smells when it's being straightened like in the in the living room that's something that only a black nose knows and it's like exactly there's a texture to it i feel like we can go into further there's a few side supporting character who's the side supporting characters like tracy and shruti and who else trying to think um that's off the top of my head but yeah more that we could actually understand and develop if we just took time. Even Ben, right? The guy that asked Shruti out. Um, if we just take time and learn more, because what's happening is that 
these characters are being sidelined and shrunken down to cultural relevance but there's a there's a story beyond but that's something that I don't want to say will come in due time because I don't want to say it's a timing thing I think when the right person who's actually been in that position is ready to tell their story it will be great material you know as opposed to trying to get the people right now to look at it because it's not going to be done well it's going to be substandard like even I saw that I mean I mean like his boxing day film did really well and I remember watching that film and being like eh it was decent, but it was a tall order because he tried to overlap like three or four types of blackness in one film. And the humour sometimes fell short, but I knew what he was trying to do and it was a good attempt because it means other people will follow and sharpen it and clean it and polish it and make it better. And that's what I like. I want to see progress, right? doesn't mean that the storyline's going to be perfect. Not everyone can do a Michaela Cole, I may destroy you. Because she had a lot of, um, she had a lot of runs that didn't work. And um, that included... Um, oh, to be honest, Chewing Gum was good. So I don't even want to say that she didn't have a good run, because she did. She had a really good run. She's really good at it. But I'm, I'm assuming that she probably did more minor, you know, theatre, plays, or just productions that didn't um, click, because it wasn't the right time and it wasn't the right place. But... Miguelco, I love, like, she just tells a story. She tries, and she doesn't try to get it right. She just tells the story. That's the thing that a lot of people are missing. And this is going to her. I very, got, I very much got that impression that they were just trying to tell a story. It wasn't about what was right, you know. Adam is not always a good guy, but they're not trying to make him morally correct, and they're not trying to excuse his behaviour. They're just trying to say, this is who he is, you know. And there's not much anyone else can do. And... Yeah, a lot to say, I know, it's a 50-minute episode, but well, it was a, it was a interesting past few days. Um, I want to talk about my morning routines now, because I feel like it's a good adjustment to getting started for the day. So I do this thing whereby I don't, um, I don't go on social media in the first few hours of my day. I try to like limit that to like 6 to 8 p.m., um so in the meantime i'm not listening to any music i'm listening to podcasts or nothing just because i feel like music really shifts your mood now i'm still not a caffeine um junkie i'm not a caffeine fan so i just stick to you know my sugary hot chocolate or my sugary um uh juice and hot water but i probably need to find like a more energy boosting alternative to that um i try to get out of my room as much as possible even when I'm working from home I just don't like being in my room too long so I'll just go and do some co-working in the co-working space and um I use these apps on my phone I use Wiser which is basically something that forces me to check in emotionally and log what I'm feeling and then I've got Finch which is another app that rewards me for doing nice things for myself and for others um, with like little coins and widget stuff and that is helpful um so I I stay on top of myself like that I schedule food breakfast when to take medicine and do everything I need to do in terms of work for the day and then try to come back in the middle of the day and eat 
and then go back to work and then try not to sleep until at least 10 p.m and it's just rinse repeat <laughs> that is really the life because what else can we do um in terms of profiling my day that's just a case of trying to do a to-do list between like 10 to 10 30 p.m or 11 p.m for 20 30 minutes i'm realizing that um I'm realising that putting things out into the atmosphere and having them come back later on is really, really helpful for me. Like, I applied for things that I didn't even know I applied for and I was getting notifications back three, four, five, six months later and all those things like, oh, my God, that's so late. I forgot I applied for it, which is good. So it keeps me accountable because you're like, oh, I applied for this. You know, I was actually trying to make some progress because your mind will lie to you. So, again, it's the whole profiling the day doing what you can find what you can remember that you did so like I feel like I need three planners at this point because although I'm writing what I should be doing and what I'm planning to do I don't actually write what I managed to do I just cross off things which is great but I should probably write a little bit more in terms of my like personal journal but that will come in due time um I just need to get into the momentum again but um Yeah, we will we will persevere. So I'm gonna get ready for my meeting and then have another meeting and then I have nothing. Like it's just constant freedom that I have to then do with myself. Blocking off your calendar and saying, you know, no communication for this period of time and getting through. So I'll leave this episode where it is. Nighttime routines are a bit different. Um because I just drop into bed, but I really should be trying to find ways of adjusting. And I will, in due time. So, yeah, that's it for now. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you stay tuned for the next one. Mm-hmm.